I know you all know this verse of scripture. If I didn't even put it up, you probably know what it is. At least many of you do. For the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. This is Isaiah speaking 700 years before Jesus. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for prisoners. If we were to try to dig into that verse, I mean this quite seriously and do it as an in-depth Bible study, I could easily see taking an hour and a half for 10 or 12 weeks to do that one verse. I'm not going to keep you here for 12 hours today. Okay, we're not going to get into an in-depth Bible study because I know most of, by the time I got done after 12 hours of it, I'd be the only one left, well, my wife and mother might still be here, but the rest of you would be gone. Okay. Okay. If you didn't hear Julie, she said, I don't know about that. Okay. She does have a key for the car, so I'd be here on my own, getting an Uber to get out of here. But uh, as I said to you, Isaiah wrote this 700 years before Jesus, and it sounds so appropriate and so prophetic to what's going on. And when Jesus reads it, he said, it's referring to me. I am the one who's here to do this for you. I'm going to try to break this down into some little quick chunks this morning and see where we go with it. See, the first part, it says, preach good news to the poor. Well, who are the poor? Were they the people who thought, well, if Jesus comes and preaches to me, I'm now going to be rich? That's not the group of people he was really talking to. There were many poor people who followed Jesus. Uh, I think I've got this up here. Yeah, there it is. The common people, the poor people, heard him what? Gladly. They were happy to hear that he was there and, and wanted to say something to them, to them and had some words of encouragement and kindness to them. Uh, and it was good news that he preached to the poor. It was this, you know, it was this message. I've got, oh, I want to put it this way to you. I'm going to use this at least two or three times this morning. Jesus is saying to them, and I think he's saying to us, to the poor, to the others we're going to look at, I am here to give you at least three things. Love, life, and hope. Do you know people who need those three things? I think you probably do. Maybe you're one of them, and I know there's probably members in your family circle who need to hear those things. But God... There's another aspect of his plan. It says, preach good news to the poor. Uh, let's get up to this one. I'm, just, I'm going to skip by a few things here. The next one, he says, is I'm going to bind up the brokenhearted. The spirit, this is now, we're going to take this now from Luke's gospel, and it's a little itty bit different. Listen to the differences. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach Good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind and to release the oppressed. The release the oppressed is the little bit different phrase that's there. In the King James Version, it uses this phrase, to set at liberty 
them that are bruised to set at liberty those who are shattered in their fortunes or broken spirit. Okay, let me, let me go back to this part. Do I have it up here? Yeah. Uh, I looked up what the scholars tell me, what bruised means there in the King James. Bruised means those who are shattered in fortune and broken in spirit. Do you want any broken-hearted people? Do any people have come through this period called COVID and they've had some issues and they're broken in spirit? They have issues going on? Jesus came to bind up the brokenhearted to, here's my little three-word phrase again, to give them hope, love, and life. Another piece out of this scripture, and like I said, we're flying through it this morning, okay? We could take an hour with each piece of this, but we're going to take about two or three minutes to proclaim free, freedom for the captives. Okay, now, let me just stop for half a second. I'm going to go through this pretty quickly, but I'm hoping that maybe a word or a phrase or a thought might go through your, if I were to say it to myself, through my puny brain at some point this week, that would either just encourage me or say, oh, okay, Lord, I, I'm getting it slowly. Do any of you ever get it slowly? I think maybe some of you are in the same group with me. Did Jesus come to release everyone? It says release the captives. Did he come to release everybody who was behind bars? Open the prisons. Let them out. That's not what he's talking about here. The word, I found this fascinating, and I hadn't known this before. The word that is used here for captives is actually the word that was used for prisoners of war. Does that sound, a prisoner of war, is that different from a bank robber? How do you become a prisoner of war? Sin makes us captives and become prisoners of war. We become... You sometimes become a prisoner of war if you get behind enemy lines. And do you suppose if we are getting a little too close to Satan, we might get behind enemy lines? If we start dabbling a little too much in things we shouldn't be participating in, we're going to suffer the consequences. But Jesus said, I am going to set captives free. And if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. You don't have to be trapped in a web of sinful habits. So I was saying to you that Jesus said that he is coming to do so many things. Bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim release for the captives, or freedom for captives, and this next one, proclaim release from darkness. Luke's account says this, recovery of sight for the blind. On various occasions, Jesus did 
restore vision for people, didn't he? Touch people's eyes and they could see again. Sadder than a person who can't see is a person who is unable to find their way spiritually. A person who knows that God is asking them to do something and yet they go the other way. Someone asked Helen Keller, who was blind, what is, is there anything you know of that is worse than being blind? Look at her response. The most pathetic person in the world is someone who has sight, but has no vision. Ouch. Satan wants to blind your vision to what God can do for you. Satan doesn't want your eyes to become open to the truth. He wants you to stumble along through life because we can't see things from God's proper perspective. Jesus said, I am come to release those who are in darkness. Here's another piece. Like I said, we're just going to move through this this morning, and I hope that through the week, maybe this little piece from Isaiah 61, verse 1, comes to your mind, or this piece from Luke's Gospel. Proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says... In the time of my favor, I heard you. In the day of my salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Now, Jesus may have been talking to the poor, the slaves, but he's talking to you and me today, and any one of us can partake freely. All you got to do is take it, right? Evan, would you like a $2 bill? You don't have to do anything for it except to take it. It's yours. You're welcome. And that is what salvation is. Jesus comes to you and says, would you like it? Uh, yeah. What do I, he's thinking, his mind was going like fury. What do I have to do? Is he going to make me do something? No, it's just yours. I'm not going to ask for it back. You can have it. It won't buy you much these days. It used to buy you something. But that's salvation, and that's what the Lord is doing. He's his favor, but we've got to accept his favor. We've got to allow it to happen. I've got a, some little... I guess we'd call them couplets, they would be. Do you know anyone who is poor? You can tell them how to be rich in Christ. Do you know anyone who is, I'm just taking the pieces now of the scripture. Do you know anyone who is bound by sin? You can tell them how to be free in Christ. Do you know anyone who is spiritually blind? You can tell them, how to have a new vision in Christ. Do you know anyone who is bruised and broken? You can give them new hope and help in Christ. See, it's not just Jesus who can do those things. It's you through the power 
of Jesus Christ can give these to others who need it. The next piece here, I have struggled with the word I want to use, and I just can't come up with a better word. Probably 10 of you will come up after and say, oh, you should have used this one. I'm using the word perils. I just, I just got stuck this week as I tried to come up with this. Beware of the perils. The first one is this. The peril, or peril, the danger, oh, definition first. What a peril is when I looked it up. The dangers or difficulties that arise from a particular situation or activity. Make sense? You get in trouble, it's a peril. It's a perilous situation. Think of some of the stupid cartoons you used to watch with Wiley e. Coyote, whatever. You know, the, the perils that were there. The, the way that things just maybe didn't work out the way they should. So here's my first, again, I'm not sure I'm comfortable with the word, but I'm going to use peril. The first peril we have is trying to do God's work in our own strength. None of you would ever dare think about doing that, would you? It's just me, probably, huh? Jesus traveled to Nazareth in order to speak in the synagogue, this piece we've read. And the scriptures tell us that just prior to that, this is his reading in the scripture is two verses later, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And just before that, look at, here it is, just a few verses before that, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert. And just before that, as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him bodily in the form of a dove. So when Jesus stood in the synagogue that day, he was being led by the Spirit, step after step after step. I'm saying, do we at times ever try to do things, do I ever try to do things in my own strength without being led by the Spirit? And Jesus then says, after these, all of these steps, he now says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news. Do you see it? It's simple. It's right there for you. Don't try to do God's work unless you are filled with God's Spirit. So here's another peril. <laughs> Habits. Okay, got your steel-toed shoes on? You're going to need them. Jesus, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went to the synagogue as was his custom and he stood up to read. As was his custom. It was his habit. Do you ever suppose that he ever found the synagogue service boring? Do you suppose he ever disagreed with the preacher? 
Do you suppose he ever had other things he might want to have done on the Sabbath day? Go to a Patriots game or something like that. As his custom was, on the Sabbath, he was in the Lord's house. I want to tell you something. Our habits are important. And then this one. First we shape our habits, and then our habits shape us. Here's John White's profound statement for the morning. It's simple though, isn't it? What habits are important in your life, and which ones do maybe you need to let go of? Now here's another thing we need to think about. Respond to the possibilities is what I'm calling it. Our habits determine the kind of people we're going to be, and overcoming the perils can help us, and then we respond to the possibilities. There are two major ways to respond to the possibilities of engaging in God's plan. The first one is this. Reject Jesus' attempts to move out of our comfort zone. I think God's plan, and that's what I'm trying to talk about this morning, God's plan is how we touch others. It's really not about us. It's about them and how we interact with others and we let them know of who Jesus is. Someone pointed out that uh, the reason we don't influence others the way we should is because we're maybe afraid of how they might react. Uh, back when I was actively pastoring here as your pastor, I had the privilege for at least two, almost three years, of being in a monthly Bible study um, with Gordon MacDonald. There were six other pastors and myself, and we would get into Gordon and Gail MacDonald's kitchen around this beautiful, beautiful cherry table that his son-in-law, Tom MacDonald, built for him. If you don't know who Tom McDonald is, just watch him on PBS every now and again, building magnificent furniture. Look him up on YouTube. He's a New Hampshire furniture master, and I bow down at his feet. <laughs> he is incredible. And we would get into this really in-depth Bible study, and I can remember one story that Gordon started to tell, and then Gail really took over. She was in the, I mean, it was... L-shaped sort of thing. The table is here and then the kitchen area. And she was out making some nice, fresh, sticky buns for our mid-morning break. Yeah, I do remember it, okay? And after Gordon and Gail left uh, Grace Chapel in Lexington, Massachusetts, where they'd been for decades, went down to New York City for a while before they came up here to uh, Concord. While they were in New York City, he was telling this, this is the story he started to tell. I said, Gail finished his story for him. Uh, there was a dry cleaning establishment that was fairly near to the apartment where they lived. And she said, the first time I went in there, uh, she said, there was just something different about the place. And I didn't know what it was. She said, in New York City, she said, everybody is, <laughs> she said, there wasn't, wasn't it seemed like there was a lot of love in the city when you walked into an establishment. But in this place, she said it was different. She said, by the third time I came in, the same guy who had been on the desk every time knew who I was. And said, hi, Gail, I've got your cleaning for you. It's already ready. It's just new. She didn't have to give her name. 
He knew her after three times. And he said, and she said, I can remember this, she said, you've all been into dry cleaning establishments. They're not the best places in the world to work, are they? It's humid and it's hot. It's an ugly place to work. And yet this guy was just always on top of it. She said, after I'd been in there six, seven, eight times and had this wonderful interchange, I walked up to him this next, that next time I went in, and I said, I'm almost looking for reasons to get my, ho my clothes or my husband's clothes dirty just so I can come in and be encouraged by you. Why are you always so happy? Why do you greet me like you do? And the guy had this quizzical look on his face, Gail said, and like, well, I'm a Christian, and I thought that's the way that as a Christian I should greet all of my customers. That's a testimony. That's a testimony of actually living the Christ life, isn't it? That's how I should treat my customers. There's one more option for us here. Mm, let's get up here. Sign up for duty. Cheerfully sign up for duty. Oh, I'm going to be talking to you about in a few moments. This is just a little aside. This is a parenthesis. Some of you have not got your forms back yet about been nominated for positions. Cheerfully sign up. No. Okay. That's what um, the Apostle Paul did when he was still known as Saul. Saul, who was uh, carrying papers that gave him the authority to arrest or have arrested Christians and have them imprisoned simply because they were Christians. You know the story. You've read it. And then he's on this road to Damascus. And a light shines, so scripture says, and he hears a voice from heaven that says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, who are you, Lord? And Jesus said, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. And here is Saul's response. And I want it to be my response all the time too. Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Do you dare to ask that question of the Lord? Do you dare say, Lord, what do you want me to do? You know, last week I was talking to you about stewardship, but this is a stewardship sermon as well, isn't it? I mean, it really is. It's a stewardship of my life, what I'm giving to the Lord and how I want to touch others. I really need to, I don't think I can adequately say what I want to say without reading what I've got written here, because I think I wrote it better than I could ever say it without looking at my notes. Are you willing to do it even if it means moving out of your comfort zone? If you ask the question and mean it, then don't be surprised if the Lord says, first you have to get with my plan. Find someone who needs to hear the good news that though they are poor in spirit, they can be rich in the things of God. Find a spiritually blind person and lead them to the light. Find a spiritually bound person and give them and lead them to liberty. Find someone who is brokenhearted and bind up their wounds. 
Don't try to do it in your own strength. Go in the power of the Spirit. And maintain good habits, the kind of habits of life and devotion that only God can bless. You've, you know, because you've heard me say it, uh, I pastored two churches, Julie and I pastored two churches in New York, in upstate New York. There was a town you've probably heard of, Fulton, that was about 60 miles to the northeast of our first church, and it was just almost exactly 60 miles to the southwest of the second church. And I know what the distance was because I was there many times because there were two of my lifelong friends pastored that church, Dick and Dennis. You didn't have to have the first letter D to be your name to be a pastor there, but it seemed like it must have helped. So I was in Fulton on a number of occasions. Now I'm telling you the right reason why I was there, and this is just going to finish up the message with this. There was, until the last couple of years, a Nestle's chocolate refining factory in Fulton. It's where they made for 30 years the Nestle's Crunch Bar. You could get, if the wind was blowing right, you could get within three to four miles of whatever direction the wind was blowing of that plant and going into Fulton and, can you smell the chocolate? And it was wonderful. And I can remember visiting with Dennis one day there and one of the members of his church came into his office who was a worker at that Nestle's plant. And man, it was like, hey, can you just sit here a little bit longer? You smell good. <laughs> but you guys back there, Ron and Pat, also know what was in the little village next to Clifton Springs. There was the Silver Floss Sauerkraut Factory. <laughs> and when the wind was blowing out of the east, the stench of fermenting cabbage was overpowering. And when those workers walked out of that factory, they stunk. I'm sorry, Fred German, you maybe love sauerkraut, but I'll tell you, when you're next to a plant that makes it 24-7, and all of those vats of that fermenting sauerkraut, oh, glory. I can still smell it 45 years later. Which one would you rather be next to? When you leave here today, you're going to carry an aroma with you. The Spirit of the Lord is on me to proclaim, to give, to set free. Are you going to do it? Will people know you're different because you've been with Jesus? Or are they going to say, man, there's another Christian and he stinks. Or there's another Christian, and man, I just want to be around them. Sit with me a little bit longer. I don't know what I've got up here. Tale of Two Cities, I called it. Fulton, chocolate, Phelps, sauerkraut. Last statement is this. Let's determine by God's grace that we will be the fragrance of Christ, sharing the good news with others. Let's pray for a moment.
Lord, I want others to know that you're my Lord. I want to be able to say with Saul, what do you want me to do for you, Lord? I want others to be happy when they're around me because I am helping to change their life in good ways. I want my habits to be such that there's no barrier between you and me. No barrier between me and others. Father, I pray for each one who is here and those who are listening online this morning that we would truly be followers of you and we would be stewards of our life and our time. Father, help us to be the people you need us to be for such a time as this. In Christ's name, amen.